the cup of jealousy we are about to partake of. We are in the season where we are about to drink from the cup of trembling. This is the bitter cup that our Messiah took for us. This is the cup of jealousy that he passed with flying colors. If you go back to the Gospels, you'll see that there is an incident where James and John, their mother, ask if one can sit at the left and the other to the right when he comes into his kingdom. Of course, this infuriated the disciples. Then Yeshua asked them a question. The question he asked them is, are you able to drink from the cup which my father has given us? And of course, at that time, they couldn't have any kind of understanding of what that cup would mean. They would soon find out as he would be hauled off, brought before evil men who would put a crown of thorn on his head. They would mock him. They would spit on him. And then they would eventually, they would flog him. And then they would eventually put him on the cross where he would die for our sins. So we then see that Yeshua revealed what that cup is when he is in the garden of Gethsemane and he petitions the father. He petitions the father and he says, if it is possible, can you take this cup from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And I want to speak from that vantage point because today, more than ever, things that I've heard over the last year that is beginning to, to I don't know, have a whole new meaning in light of what's taking place and um, causing me to look at things from a whole different perspective. And one of those things is understanding that Yeshua did not exempt us, just like he didn't exempt his disciples from experiencing the bitterness of the cup that he himself was the first to partake of. Now, when he was with them, they didn't experience that. And I think that has a prophetic significance for us today, because as long as he's with us, he protects us. He, kept, he keeps us from experiencing some things. But there is going to come, and it's going to come very quickly, a testing of the body of Christ. He is going to sift those who are his, and he's going to allow us to drink from that cup. And he told us that we would have to drink from that cup. That's the very thing he told his disciples. You will drink from that cup. He didn't just ask them the question, are you able to drink from the cup that my father has given to me? And to which they answered preemptively because the reality was, if you really look at what happened when Yeshua was going through the testing and the trial, his disciples weren't around him. So the reality was, no, they really weren't ready for what they were claiming. They were no different than Peter. That fear set in because it was, you know, so, so many people, you know, it's, it's like this. Could the Lord have just been delivered from the test, from the cup? Of course he could. That's what he told Peter. He said, do you not know that I could call 12 legions of angels? Yeah, maybe wrong, maybe 12,000 legions of animals. I will check that out. But the whole point is we know from scripture what those angels could do. And you don't need 12 of them. Or 12,000 to do what he needed to be done at that moment. Because we're not talking about over 184,000 people, which, you know, they were able to take out an army of folks. And I don't think their power diminished with time. So what I'm saying to you is simply this, is that it's time for us to drink from that. Made it so that there really is nowhere else that you can go. If you think that you're going to fly to a, a safer place, 
where is that? I mean, this global pandemic has made it such that you're basically put wherever you are in the world. And unlike World War One, unlike World War Two, unlike uh, Spanish flu and all these other catastrophes that may have had a mild impact on the world, you know, but they specifically took place in, in a specific geographic location, which meant that there were many countries that were not impacted by what was taking place at that time. Everyone didn't go through depression because we went through one. Everyone didn't go through the Spanish flu just because we experienced it. So what I'm saying is the difference is everyone is experiencing this. And it's not just this. You have, we have still have tornadoes and in earthquakes in diverse places, we still have pestilences of different sorts where we have locusts who are ravishing the crops in Africa. I mean, it's so many things taking place at one time that um, we are being exposed to that there is no question what's taking place in our day is unlike any, is unprecedented as they stated. So here's the thing. If God is allowing an unprecedented incident to happen in the midst of us, which he is, there has to be a reason. And so I want to share what happened to me last year. And it didn't happen just to me. Actually, it happened to my family. We were going on a family and friends cruise. And we went to, I believe it was Taco Bell? Yeah, Taco Bell to eat. And we were on our way to Galveston, Texas. So we stopped to eat here. And there was a man who comes to us. And he says, the Lord is coming soon. And he began to prophesy concerning some things uh, about him. Well, not prophesy. He actually began to share his testimony about how he, how the Lord had raised him from the dead to deliver this message. And to warn people that he is coming soon. And a few other things he said. But what I remember is that. And it didn't come back to my mind until today. Because when we hear that, you know, we still kind of in our minds, we think to ourselves, that's so far off. You know, that, you know, we don't stop doing what we're doing. We pause. But then we go back to life as usual. We go back to whatever we're doing in that time at that day or whatever and we just move on but seeing what we're seeing today knowing what we're knowing now it has been revealed to me from watching and praying how the mark of the beast system is going to take place and the various things that are being put in position and what this time is actually for there is a place in scripture where Yeshua says that he who is righteous be righteous still. And I'm not saying quoting this exactly right, but I will get the scriptures for you when I put this together. But he says, and if he who is unrighteous, you know, for lack of a better term, it's kind of more or less like he who is still doing evil, you keep doing your evil. He who is still following the Lord, you keep following the Lord. It's, it's as if he's preparing us for the place he was at when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had gotten to the place, or, and not just the Garden of Gethsemane, excuse me, let me go back. He's actually at the place he was at with Judas, but it's more like a petition. With Judas, he answered him 
specifically. If you go back to the Gospels, the disciples were asking when he was saying someone's going to betray him. And he's giving these details. And, you know, you have various saying, oh, is it I, Lord? Is it I? All of them were not sure, which, which is something very important for us to realize because we sometimes, even as believers, think that we have arrived. But truly, the reason why the test comes is because there are still things. There's two reasons the tests are going to come. One, God tests us for good because he knows that he knows what is in the very deepest elements of our heart. That's why it says concerning us that the heart is deceitfully wicked. What man can tame it? But he searches the heart. So he knows what's in the very deepest recesses of our heart. We do not know. So the test reveals what's in our heart, whether it's good or evil, whether it's right or wrong. The test will search that thing out for us to know. And Here's the beauty of the test. If you can be like Job, because Job was not 100%. He was perfect in the sense that he was complete and there was no one else like him. He was the best of who was in his day. But if you keep reading the book of Job, you find that there were some things he had to repent of. The mere fact that we have to repent means that there's some things that's not quite right. So if we are like Job and we actually repent when these things surface concerning us, this was the olive branch that was also given to Judas. Because when the Messiah said that, that he would be betrayed, and one of the people who asked, is it our Lord? He answered him, thou hast said. He told him, you said it. <laughs> so he answered the question. So these things were not a confusion to them. They weren't, um, how can I say, they were not um, unaware of what they were facing. And so here's the thing. We are not unaware to a degree of what we're facing. Many of us don't know all the ins and outs and details, but we have questions and even if you're not a believer you have people who have questions and they already formulate opinions and based on just knowing the history knows that there are some things that are in the works that are not going to be the best thing to do but we don't want to lose focus of what this time is really about because it's not about those who don't know God yes I mean it's already clear for many people they're already doing what they're doing they into pornography they still into that if they're still into murders and um, stealing and all those kinds of things, those people who are still into those things, they're still into those things. But it's for the people of God or those who say they are the people of God. This is a time to really get out the things, to purge the things that will keep us from being that living sacrifice. And to really understand what being a living sacrifice means. Because it's not about all the prosperity you're going to get. It's not about how that God is going to deliver you from everything. It's not about all of those things. Although he will do those things. It's not about those things. Because the bottom line is if you are a servant and he is the master, he gets to decide how your end will be. And sometimes your end is not going to include 
you being delivered from the sickness, you being delivered through the sickness. Sometimes it could mean you being brought home through the sickness. Sometimes it could mean you're not going to be delivered from the test. You're not going to be delivered from the having to make a choice or um, being crucified for speaking the truth. Sometimes it doesn't mean you're going to get delivered from that. It doesn't mean you're going to escape it. Sometimes it means you're going to have to go through it. Sometimes you're going to have to be a John the Baptist. Sometimes you're going to have to be a Stephen, a Paul, and you actually die for your faith. And this is the thing that I want us to remember at this time. Is that what, whether or not you see all the things or understand all the things that one other person may see or understand concerning this time. No matter where you are in the whole scope of things, the test is relevant no matter where you are. Whether you, whether you can clearly see where the Antichrist is or whether you don't have a clue. Whether you can clearly see what the mark of the beast is or whether you don't have a clue. It's really irrelevant. Wherever you are in your understanding of eschatology, the one thing is that's going to be clear if you are a follower of Yeshua is that if you hear his voice, you will follow him because his sheep hear his voice and the stranger they will not follow. So even if I don't have all of the dots on my eyes or the T's crossed, even if I don't know the scripture backward and forward, even if I have not read through the whole Bible, if I have made a commitment to Yeshua HaMashiach, if I have accepted that I've been blood-bought, if I have the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I have an ear to hear him. And if he says, don't do this, then I won't do it, even if I don't understand why, even if it's not clear. I'm not going to keep going full throttle in a direction. Even if I don't understand why I can't go this way. All I have to understand is that he said don't go. This is the same thing Abraham had a clear understanding of. He didn't have the written Torah because Moses had it. Is the one who wrote this. This come long before then. But he had the Torah in him. In the sense that he had the one who wrote it walking with him. And even when he didn't know where he was going, he left home. That, to me, is one of the most powerful revelations of understanding God is simply this. Even when I don't know where I'm going, I'm following him. Even when he don't give lay out the blueprint, I'm going to go where he says go. And even if where he sends me is directly in the midst of trouble, I'm still going to go full throttle. He's given us other examples. He did not exempt Daniel. He did not just beam Daniel out of the lion's den. Daniel, he shut up the mouth of the lion. What does this mean? This means that for standing up for righteousness, it doesn't mean that he's going to somehow remove you from having to experience the fear and the, the elements of danger. Yes, you're, you're going to have to experience the, the element of danger. You're going to have to either accept that he's going to either some kind of way keeps the danger from harming you or embrace that even if the danger gets you, he got you. We're at that place right now where there are going to be some righteous who are going to be martyred 
and there are going to be some righteous who are going to be delivered to perhaps be martyred later. But the bottom line is it doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change that he's God. It doesn't change anything about who he is and who he should be to us. The test reveals who belongs to him, to us. Those who say that they are his, the test will reveal if they are his. The test will show if they are his. The test will reflect who are his. That is what the test does. If we lose sight of that, if we don't understand that, then we will find ourselves fighting against God. And so here's what I'm saying. Does it mean, because there are going to be some things I know God is going to release me to be able to speak and to say on a more worldwide scale, but how to say it is what I'm really waiting on to hear from him. Because I do know there's a difference in speaking to those who are his and how he spoke to the masses. So with that being stated, here is going to be the thing that helps us understand the truth and how to walk in truth is to first have a love for truth. The scriptures teach that there's going to be a strong delusion. What I am submitting to you is that that delusion is going forth as we speak, that there's going to be a strong delusion. Why is the delusion going to be so strong? Because the truth is going to be censored. The truth is going to be suppressed. The truth is going to be that narrow way that few will find. But broad is going to be that way. Broad is going to be the spectrum of the lie, of the false, of the counterfeit. And so the truth is going to be so very difficult to swallow because it's going to be so far away from what everyone else is saying. It's going to be giving you a completely about face, different direction from where everyone else is going. So this is how you're going to be able to define it. This is how you're going to be able to see it. This is how you're going to be able to understand it. But the thing about the truth is that it's going to bear witness. There's going to be confirmation of it. But what's going to happen is people are going to have to go against their own conscience to accept and embrace the lie and ignore the truth. Remember the lesson of Judas. Hear me closely. Remember the witness of Judas. Judas was in the midst of the very truth. He walked with the very truth. And yet when the truth is speaking to him concerning what he's going to do, he sees it and hears it not. Because even when he asks the question to confirm whether or not what already went forth because God already said there's going to be someone who's going to betray me he asked specifically is it I he gets a confirming answer it's you yet he still doesn't see he's still on the same path at that moment truth has been presented to him and he didn't change his heart was seared as with an hot iron still kept in the same direction when he was given a direct response that's the second witness the third witness really because he he already knew what he was going to do it's not like he didn't plan until after that moment to betray Yeshua he already been in the works of doing it 
The fact that Yeshua says there's someone who's going to betray him is evidence to him that he must know. So then secondly, he asks, is it me? He tells them, it's you. He doesn't keep, he doesn't stop at that moment. He confronts truth and he ignores it. He, Hosea 4, 6, it, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Judas was supposed to be his people. He was his disciple. He was handpicked by him. Can't be no more in church than that. But he still goes full throttle in the direction that he chooses to go in. And so then what's the confirming witness again? He tells him, after he done told him, thou hast said, he tells him what you do, do quickly. Now, now Satan comes into him. Then he says what he says. So here is the point I'm making. Judas is a type of the lukewarm church who will have an option to choose truth, but they will still go full throttle in the wrong direction. This is not the true church. This is the apostate church. He is a picture of the Antichrist who will not repent, meaning he's like Pharaoh. Even with the signs and wonders, even with the plague of the blood, the plague of frogs, the plague of locusts, the plague of hell, the plague of darkness, even with all of these plagues taking place, he is still not going to let the people go. He's not going to repent. Yes, he gets a confirming conviction and he makes restitution to the people who he betrayed him for, but he doesn't go to Yeshua to get it straight. He doesn't turn to the Most High and says, I have sinned against you. It is the distinction between what between him and David. When David sinned, he said, against you, O Yah, have I sinned in you only. Judas, oh, I'm sorry, I betrayed innocent blood. Here, take your money back. Then I'll go off myself. So here's my point. Church, we have to wake up before it's too late. Before we get to that place where he says, he who is righteous, be righteous still. And once we get to the place in this walk, in this path, where whatever direction you're going in is the direction you're going to be in, if we're not in the right, if we're not in that straight and narrow, by then, we're being corralled. And what I say, what I mean when I say being corralled, I'm saying we're being, we're going to be like those, cat, the cows who are being brought up to slaughter. We're going to already be in the maze with no possibility of return. And by the time we get to the point where it's going to be off with our head, there's not going to be any turning back. There's not going to be any return. You're going to be wherever you're going to be. And that's going to be it. Because by this time, you would have sold your birthright for the morsel of bread. By this point, you would have done what Esau did, where you will seek repentance with tears, weeping and gnashing of teeth, but will not find that place. You are at the point of no return. We don't want to be at that place. We do not want to be at the place of no return. We want to be at the place where we will fulfill the will of God as a good and faithful servant. We want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We do not want to hear, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. We don't want to hear that. So here is what the cup of jealousy is going to reveal. The cup of jealousy is going to reveal those who are his and those who are not. The cup of jealousy is going to allow not only, it doesn't just reveal what God already knows that the situation brings to the surface that's within us. It, re it reveals to us 
what we don't know about us that needs to be brought to the surface. Because if we don't repent of that, it will become the stumbling block. It will become the thing that will allow us to stumble into the place where there's no return. And so now we're being given that opportunity to not close our eyes at truth, to not bury our head under the sand, to not be blind guides leading the blind. In other words, let's not just be obedient to what we're saying to the point of excluding what we're seeing. There's a reason why he says to watch and pray. He didn't say just to obey and pray, just to obey whatever, whatever our government and powers that be say and pray. He said to watch and pray because there comes a time where we are to always submit without question, but to obey is a different story because we are never to follow the majority to do evil, even at the bequest of the authorities in place. What we are to do is what Daniel did, respectfully do the right thing, even if it costs us our life or it puts our life in jeopardy. Not to submit to doing the wrong thing so that we can avoid the jeopardy. So here is where we need to always be in our understanding of things. Because what is taking place right now is there's, for the believer, the challenge is going to be, at what point do we question what authority is saying for us to do? At what point is too far? At what point do we begin to say, hmm, you're going a little too too far left with this? Because if we don't, if, if there is no point, there is no point. So what I'm saying is just like Judas and so many others and even the disciples who were at the table because none of them really got it. We better be able to read between the lines. Yeshua is with us if we have given our lives to the Lord rest assured of that but we cannot say we've given our lives to the lord if there's any area that we reserve to ourselves and what's important at this hour is to really place before the altar of god our strengths and our weaknesses and any area that we hold specifically dear that we do not give to him will become that achilles heel when we when our foot is to the wire or rather to the fire. So what I'm saying is simply this, if you don't get anything else, is that time is drawing near. We are experiencing things that's going to be a make or break moment for us as it relates to eternity. And it behooves us to really make sure that we are watching and praying that we are asking God for his interpretation of events that are taking place and making sure that we're not just following the script that has been written by man and ignoring the script that has been written by the Most High. So this is an excellent time to familiarize yourself with scripture, to ask yourself questions like does the scripture have rhema word significance right now meaning does it have a right now application that i need to not ignore and if it does then we need to be looking at that we need to be analyzing that we need to be we need to be watchful prayerful 
mindful. We cannot afford in this hour to make the mistake of not listening, of not being clear about what Yehovah wants us to understand about his word and about his will. We need to be very clear on that. So I hope that I was able to bless you. I hope that I've given you some things to think about. I hope that I give you some things to reflect on in light of our current of current events. And I know there's so many people who have so many things that's on their agenda to accomplish and who are not ready for what's going to happen next, who had plans in their life that are going to be disrupted. And I'm here to tell you, they're going to be disrupted. And to what degree they're going to be disrupted is going to depend on to what degree you choose to follow the Lord. Because make absolutely no mistake that this will not be the path of the majority. It will be the path of minority. As Yeshua said to his betrayer, we will find ourselves in a position to say to those who will betray us, what you do, do quickly. So the cup is coming. Prepare your hearts to be ready to respond appropriately when it does. And to those who love Yah, I'll see you when the smoke clears.